Hello and welcome back to the Roommates podcast, part of the rheumatology.physio podcasts with me, Jack March. And this month I am joined by Mike Dare, which is always a treat. And this this month we've done we've done an interview, which we try to do every now and then, um, and it's absolutely brilliant. So we'll get on to that in a minute. We've got a new at-a-glance guide out next week, all on about the hip, written by Rob Tyre. Um, it's absolutely brilliant and in the same vein as all the other at-a-glance books. So one to absolutely add to your collection. It's really good. They are going to be available next week on pre-order to just a few select people. Um, so if you want to be on that select list, then um, you can find me on social media. Just type rheumatology.physio into Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and I'll come up and then just DM me your email address and let me know that you want to be on that pre-order mailing list. It's going to be a bit of a discount on that for the pre-orders and um, those will be available as hard copies to anybody in the UK and Europe. Um, but they'll also be available as ebooks if you don't want a hard copy or if you live outside of Europe. Unfortunately, you had to turn off international shipping outside of Europe because we were losing so many orders. Um, it was costing me a fortune. So unfortunately, for those of you outside of Europe, uh, you'll need to get an ebook and then you feel free, of course, to print that. Um, don't forget, we've got Therapy Live coming out as we as this podcast comes out. That'll be in just nine days. And um, if you haven't got a ticket yet, then why on earth not? But I'll be speaking there at, um, on axial spondyloarthritis in women. So that should be great. Tickets are free. Just head to therapylive.co.uk. Therapy-live.co.uk, I apologise. And uh, you'll find the tickets there for free. Finally, on to this podcast. So we were very lucky to speak to Dr. Eileen Tan, who Mike and I follow around on Twitter like little ducklings. And every time she tweets out some um, some research that she's been involved in, then inevitably it's absolutely brilliant. So we threw out the idea of her coming onto the podcast to talk to us, and she fortunately said yes. So here we are. We recorded with her. The only big downside to this recording is that unfortunately we couldn't get um, Dr. Tan's time for approximately 45 hours. You'll notice as we go through uh, that we really wanted to pick our brains on a lot of different things. Um, so Dr. Tan is a consultant rheumatologist in Leeds. She's an associate professor. She researches arthritis, muscles, exercise, MRIs, ultrasound, and as you'll hear in this interview, is somewhat of a genius and all around lovely person. So do follow her on Twitter. She's Dr. Eileen Tan, and um, certainly learned from her an absolute ton. In this, we particularly talk about the effect of exercise on inflammation, why, when, and how we should use this to help our patients. So on with the interview. Okay, brilliant. So we are back for another um, rheumatology podcast. I am joined by uh, Mike, as usual. And um, today we've got a very special guest. It's our, our second guest on the podcast. Um, we've got Eileen Tan, um, which is, uh, we're really excited about this. I know Mike and I um, have been sort of trying to decide who we wanted to get on uh, to talk about various things in rheumatology. And, um, and Dr. Tan was sort of way up on our list because we've interacted a few times on Twitter between the three of us, haven't we, um, with regards to different research things. So uh, really happy to talk about this. And we're going to talk about um, exercise and inflammation and its various uh, 
causes and guises and what really happens when you exercise and what happens to your inflammatory system and inflammatory arthritis. So um, the first thing I'm going to get um, us to do is, would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners, Eileen, and then uh, we can crack on from there. Yeah, sure. Thanks for inviting me to this episode of your uh, podcast. I'm really looking forward to the next uh, maybe half an hour of interesting chats. So um, I'm a consultant rheumatologist um, in Leeds. Um, I'm an academic rheumatologist. So that means that half the time I work in the NHS as a doctor. And then the other half the time I um, am involved in research in rheumatology. Uh, So my main research interest is using... um, imaging to understand the pathogenesis of rheumatological conditions, so arthritis, um, that includes rheumatoid arthritis, spondyloarthritis, psoriatic arthritis, osteoarthritis. And latterly, I've been using um, MRI um, alongside um, very clever colleagues in medical physics and radiology in trying to understand what goes on in the muscle of our rheumatic diseases. So I've looked at rheumatoid arthritis, um, and also aging, particularly with sarcopenia, aging muscles, uh, and um, hopefully going to uh, understand a bit about muscles involvement in COVID as well. Very, very timely to understand uh, what goes on. And I guess that's kind of related to the topic we're talking about in terms of um, exercise. Yeah, perfect. Mike and I on a previous one of our podcasts talked about your paper you did where you were measuring um uh, muscle volume in rheumatoid arthritis patients that was absolutely fascinating um, I now feel like I regret not booking you for about a 45 hour podcast where we could ask you about all of your research projects that you've got going on because I can see Mike nodding away going he wants to ask you loads of questions on those but we'll uh, we'll try and narrow it down a little bit so the um the sort of first question I, w- I want us to get into really is um is there is there a significant difference for the inflammatory arthritis cohorts, if in sort of inactive versus active patients, what I, I think that's something we need to understand first. What's the big problem with people um, with inflammatory arthritis if they're inactive? So I guess um, th- there is also a differentiation in the group of people with inflammatory arthritis as to whether they are ha- having an active inflammatory episode or active disease or if they are in remission or well-controlled on, on therapy. So this, uh, there's a distinction between those two groups as well, as well as um, being um, active or inactive. On the whole, um, the, the benefits of being active, actually, rephrase that because you're asking about where, if they're inactive. So the, the, the downside of being inactive in um, people with inflammatory conditions or in fact, any of us, any, any, anyone, is that obviously we are not getting the, the benefit of being, being active. Um, but particularly in people with inflammatory arthritis, uh, being active means that um, they are moving more. Um, and movement is always good to keep the joints um, healthy, um, to describe very briefly um, the benefits. So um, when we move our joints, we keep it in working order. We stop it from sort of stiffening up. And this is so significant in people with um, arthritis. Um, and, and movement um, promotes health in the muscles that are very important to control uh, joint stability and joint health. So I think um, 
there's a lot of uh, advantage in movement for everyone, but even more so in people with inflammatory arthritis. Yeah, perfect. And um, what about with regards to things like other factors as well? So you, you mentioned about sort of joint health specifically. What about wider health? And I know Mike and I again have discussed previously about uh, sort of abdominal fat being an issue. So how about things like um, using it as a way of getting out calories, that kind of thing? Is there a, a on, on those sort of wider health aspects, is that how's that for um, inflammatory arthritis as well? Yeah, so so the, the additional benefits of being active um, and exercise for uh, people with inflammatory um, conditions, inflammatory arthritis, is that um, in addition to um, the joint health and the muscle health that are obviously related to arthritis, the, the, the effect of exercise... Um, this re- there is evidence that it reduces inflammation and and this is not inflammation specific to joints so um as you know inflammatory conditions like arthritis um the inflammatory response don't often just focus on the joints it, it can be a systemic effect um and being a systemic effect it has consequences on other parts of the body including the cardiovascular system uh, you mentioned uh, the, the fat, the you know um, sarcopenia being um, related as well. So it, and, and also additional to the anatomical benefits of exercise is the mental health benefits as well, if, if even very significantly, and 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 that, that, that's got a, a a snowball effect on you know the, the rest of the body so you know you exercise improve your mental health you feel better you want to do more exercise you're more motivated you get the health benefits the structural benefits as a result so it just goes on and on and on um this is when we need a 45 hour uh, podcast to talk about all the benefits of exercise <laughs> no for sure exactly um Mike, I wonder if you comment on um the majority of the people that you see in clinic because uh, you see a lot more clinical patients than I do. Um, whether do you think that the people coming in to see you are already understanding that they need to move more, and as a result, just need some help as to how that best occurs, or do you see a lot of people who they just they feel like they want to remain more sedentary because it, it's immediately more comfortable? Do you think you, is there people seeing on one side versus the other? Do you think? Um, I think it's multifactorial. I think it it's it's not it's kind of nice if you get a new rheumatoid or a PSA patient who's running marathons or, or those kind of thing because you automatically know the prognosis for that patient's going to be pretty good because um, they're active, they're generally not smokers, um, and, and they just do better. And I'm sure Dr. Tan uh, will agree is they just do better on on their disease modifying medications. Um, I just think there's this societal misconception, really, that if you have arthritis, in inverted commas, irrespective of what your diagnosis is, is is that if you put stress on your muscles and joints, it's going to speed up the process or or worsen the disability long term associated with that. And, uh, you know, as Dr. Tan said, I think we've got good evidence now that, in fact, the opposite is true, is is that your, your cartilage, your articular cartilage health and and your kind of um, arthrogenic inflammation and systemic inflammation is just much better if you're physically active. So I think it is more of a mentality thing. Um, and it's just about challenging, I guess, those internal beliefs from patients more than anything. 
and it is a challenge um, to to kind of change that mentality and get patients more active. Mm. Um, but again, as Dr. Tan said, I think if someone is having low disease activity or in remission, it's a lot easier to get them active than you know if if, if they're really sitting on the higher um, disease activity realm, really. I totally get what Mike is saying. It's very, very familiar and interesting. But I think for me and Mike, that's really what we see. Um, and, and I think there's two sides to this because there's the um, obviously the, the benefit for the patients, but also the healthcare professionals who are, um, who, who are educated to, uh, to sort of um, share the knowledge to patients is very important. Um, and there, there are studies looking at... Um, the knowledge of healthcare professionals in terms of the benefit of exercise for these patients. And it's fascinating to see um, from the study that even healthcare professionals, not all healthcare professionals, recognize um, the full benefit of exercise in people with arthritis, in, in that some still believe that, for example, um, exercise is bad for the knee joints. And this is from healthcare professionals. So, so um, and if, if I think healthcare professionals don't get it um, consistent, then it's difficult for patients to, to believe and trust what is the right thing to do. And as a result, this is going to have a major impact on motivation that Mike was referring to. How, how will patients be motivated to do the right thing and know what is right for them? Um, and, and studies have also shown that patients sometimes need to be, sometimes you don't know what you don't know so we, we need to have that knowledge to impart to patients to share with them that actually it is okay to exercise um even though you've got arthritis and if anything it is good to exercise and, and that they need that um permission to to exercise um to help with their motivation yeah for sure and that certainly echoes what i see from my role where i'm more of an educator of therapists um that i i do see people they do go very softly softly with these patients and there is every single course that i run i can guarantee someone will ask me about well what happens if you do exercise with let's say a rheumatoid patient and they get symptoms afterwards it what symptoms should they accept as result of their exercise and i and i basically say and I don't and I want your comment on this, um, Island, whether I'm correct here. I basically say well, if the patient can tolerate the symptoms that they're receiving in the short term. So I usually go six to 20, six to 24 hours. I don't want it extending past that because that's just not very nice. As long as the symptoms that they get are tolerable, then that's absolutely fine to be exercising through that. If they can't tolerate it, bring tears to their eyes or stopping them from doing other things, then that's too much. Uh, is, that a fair, is that a fair line in the sand to draw or should we have more specific markers? Like, um, you know, if their knee gets very, very red, for example, is, is there anything like that that I should be teaching people? I think I would entirely agree with your approach um, towards um, guiding patients. Absolutely. Because I, I, re I really believe in, in, in sort of almost tailor, tailor make your instructions to the specific patients because you're going to know the patient best as, as, as a therapist. And um, it, it's all to do with, with reassuring patients and, and, and helping encourage them to, to motivate them and, and to say it's actually okay. So, so, for example, as you said, you know, 
patients need to be reassured that when you start doing a new form of movement or exercise, you anticipate some form of discomfort, and that's okay. And the muscles do feel a bit stiffer for the next few days, and that's okay, natural process of, of, of a new exercise. Um, but anything more, for example, as you said about wincing or crying, that maybe that's a warning sign. Just, just the same for any of us. If we do something and we say, ouch, that's terrible, we know our, it's our body's <laughs> warning system to tell us that's not the right thing to do. But if it's a bit of an aching or a toothachy kind of soreness, that's okay. That's just muscle working hard. It's working on the muscles. And um, what I also tell patients is that um, they need to do, um, do it regularly, but maybe cut it down to the intensity and duration that they can manage as you described, but keep doing it. Maybe rest for a day or two if they feel it's too intense, but pick it up again and keep doing it for about two months before they see any benefit. Mm. And this is like managing expectations as well. Because um, there, there are studies that, that have shown that the, the pain level do improve, but it takes up to eight weeks to show that. Um, and so patients need to be informed and, and say, it's okay. You might not feel any benefit. If anything, you could feel worse, and that's fine. Um, and if you persist with it for a couple of months, you will eventually feel the benefit. And it's just, again, telling them the, our experience, the evidence, and, and give them permission to feel that it's okay, um, but to watch out for warning signs like, you know, out-of-character pain, for example. Yeah, for sure. Mike, I just wondered if you'd comment, because I think one of the things that physios are guilty of, is, and it would be interesting to hear if um, Ireland thinks this as well, is that physios often think that exercise is a bit of a magic bullet, and it is really good for everything whereas actually in reality when we look at the research exercise is one component and um, mental health is another component especially in rheumatology um, disease modifying medication is a big component diet is a component not smoking is a component when um, when you see patients that have seen physiotherapists osteopaths etc do you feel like those other components are being addressed or do you think they're just concentrating on exercise it's, a, it's a, a good question, and I actually listened to a podcast from the um, ME physio group a couple of evenings ago about this, which was really fascinating, and, and I recommend it if, if uh, anyone listening to this podcast hasn't listened to it. And I think it's exactly that, is so many physios uh, try and sell exercise as a magic bullet, and I, I think it really depends on which condition we're referring to and the, the many comorbidities and multifactorial kind of contributions to a patient that's sitting in front of you. And I think it's about having open and honest discussions with patients about their condition. So, you know, for example, if a patient does have rheumatoid or axial spondyloarthritis, you know, exercise is not going to be a magic bullet that's going to make them brand new again. And as Dr. Tan said, you know, it, it takes dedication over many months to really to see the benefits of this. And I always find it fascinating how a patient would be really happy to take methotrexate, for example, for 10 weeks to start seeing their disease activity come down. But after a week or two of going for walks or cycling, they just say it's not working kind of thing. So that, that always interests me. Um, but I think it's about having open and honest discussions with patients. You know, 
and, and not really selling exercises, this magic medicine that's going to take away your osteoarthritis or, you know, you, you know, cure your axial spondyloarthritis or your chronic fatigue syndrome. But it can have benefits in certain areas and it may flare up other areas. So it's just about, as Dr. Tan said, setting those expectations for patients and, and being completely transparent with it. And also, I guess, adjusting your advice and your program and your recommendations to the patient according to their condition, the activity or disease activity that they have and other comorbidities. Yeah, you've led me lovely into my next question, um, which to, uh, to Eileen was was about, you mentioned right at the beginning about uh, when people have more active disease versus less active disease and, uh, and uh, whether you call that a flare up or whatever we, we describe it as. Do you feel like... Um, Again, I use the same sort of pattern that I would where I say, look, if, if your symptoms are worse, just still use the same tolerance level marker. So you'll tolerate less, but that's fine because you're feeling worse. Do you feel like is that still appropriate in that situation or do we need to tail back more if they're having a inverted commas flare up? I think initially um, it's appropriate just to test how they can tolerate. So I guess you're talking maybe using percentage rather than say do that 10 times mm-hmm. kind of thing because it's then individualized. Um, and I think it's it's entirely appropriate to suggest that initially. And I think, um, again, um, patients will know when that's not right, I think. Again, listen to the body's warning sign, the difference between an ache and a sharp pain or a really uncomfortable pain. And I think during a flare-up, if the joint is really big and swollen and particularly red, I, I would probably just hold back significantly. They might want to do a bit of stretching if they want to, just to keep it mobile. But maybe just, just rest and, and get 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 the active joint treated and, and then resume exercise as soon as possibly can. So again, very individualized, but um, you know, and I guess um the, the, the danger here is when patients think, oh, actually, my joints are so severe, I need to exercise more to get it down. And, and actually, what, what, I tell, what I tend to tell patients is actually um, the, the, the need to exercise regularly is, and, and the best time to do it is when your joints are really well controlled because um, you've got no pain, you've got no stiffness, you're able to do the exercises more effectively and gain maximum benefit. However, when you're in pain and you're having a flare-up, the the exercise isn't going to contribute any benefit because you're unable to do it properly. And, and yeah, hold back um, as as needs be, um, depending on the level of inflammation. And and if you've got a relatively localised flare-up, so let's say it makes it easy if you just say the the knee is really flared up, it's really red, really hot, really angry – um, would you still tail back all the exercises or could you adapt them so you were doing just upper limb exercises, for example? Like I know that we're, we're obviously talking about in, in systemic inflammation. So I'm just wondering about whether actually doing upper limb exercises, getting everything flowing around, whether that's going to be problematic or whether you could still carry on with that as long as that was tolerable. Um, I would I would personally say carry on with the, the other exercises in the other parts of the body that um, isn't inflamed and able and, and, and the person is able to carry on with them com- 
relatively comfortably and, and rest the affected joints. So obviously it's different if somebody's got a, a flare-up where many joints are affected, then then yeah, it's different. But if it's only one joint that's affected, for example, the knee joint, then then if the if the person's comfortable doing upper limb exercises, upper body exercises, uh, absolutely. Or 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 exercises for the other leg, uh, by by all means, you know, that there's no reason why they can't do that. I, I'm really enjoying how much you you're agreeing with me. <laughs> it makes me feel really good. Um, I wanted to ask about. Um, I had a question the other day on one of my courses, and I I genuinely didn't know the answer. Um, and I and Mike, I'd be interested in your comments here as well. Um, in that, what the physio had had a patient come into them, and they wanted to investigate them for a possible rheumatology disorder, but the patient was very very active. They ran every day, and um, the, the physio asked me whether they should ask the patient to stop exercising for a few days before the blood tests in order to get an accurate marker of the inf inflammation, um, almost as if like you would potentially maybe say stop anti-inflammatories or something. It is, does exercise have a significant alteration either up or down of those inflammatory markers to work, make it worth them stopping for a few days? Or is that just sort of pointless? Who's going first? <laughs> well, I, I can't give you any research to back up uh, that, that uh, question or my response to that. I think Dr. Tan will probably have done all the research to back up her points on that. But personally, in clinic um, and with the consultants that I work with, we've never really advised people to stop exercising in anticipation for a blood test or any imaging for that matter. Um, so I, I personally have never come across any concrete evidence that um, there'd be a massive reduction in CRP because of exercise. But I mean, Dr. Tan may prove me wrong, but that's just a Mike et al. clinical <laughs> opinion. So. I think there is a short answer and a long answer to that question. Um, the, the, the short answer is that yeah, I don't I don't think there's enough evidence to 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 recommend stopping exercise for somebody who does it every day in order to have an accurate measurement of the inflammatory markers. But the reason for that, I'm personally not aware of specific um, studies um, into that. So it'll be interesting to um, hear from any uh, of the podcast listeners if they have evidence to to respond. Um, and and. And, and I think this this may be because um, the so so the long answer is that there's probably a slight but maybe insignificant change to the inflammatory markers related to exercise, um, not enough to say stop the exercise so that we can have an accurate look at the inflammatory um, re response. Um, and, and also, it, it depends on on whether the exercise is an acute phenomenon or an ongoing. As you said, this person runs every day so it's a normal activity for this particular person which may be different to somebody else who doesn't do any running and suddenly go and run even a mile that's completely different because so so there is the short-term effect of acute bout of exercise on the inflammatory response which it can increase a transient short-term inflammatory response um, as opposed to somebody who does regular um, exercise whereby actually um on the long run, they, they have reduced inflammation in their body as a result of the continuous um, um, regular exercise. 
Yeah, no, great. I didn't think there was. It was. It's just one of those things. I thought, I don't know. I don't know the other. <laughs> the other thing that crosses my mind there is, you know, you said it would be a small change. I mean, I struggle to think of clinical scenarios where, you know, if your CRP went down by five or up by five, whether that would really change your clinical reasoning process. So it'd have to be a huge change, wouldn't it? I think to really change your clinical clinical um, decision making there. Um, I wondered if you would comment. Um, Eileen, on um, we talked briefly just a minute ago about the study uh, you guys did about the muscle volume uh, between newly diagnosed. Um, it was oh, it was new new onset symptoms, wasn't it? New uh, active disease and managed disease, if I remember it correctly. Would you comment on? Um, let's say that Mike's got uh, a new patient in his clinic and he thinks they might have rheumatoid arthritis. How much um, emphasis would you say at that point should we be putting on patients being active or even increasing their activity levels to try and reduce that drop off of that muscle volume loss that you showed? So, yeah, so, so the, the study you're referring to, which is published in rheumatology, um, is using MRI or quantitative MRI specifically to look at the fine muscles um, of rheumatoid patients. And we looked at three groups. Um, so we looked at um, new rheumatoid arthritis patients just like those, not had any steroids or not had any DMA therapy, so completely naive to treatment, compared to patients who are obviously on therapy and in, clin in clinical remission or sustained clinical remission um, based on DAS activity. And, and also a group of rheumatoid patients who are deemed active disease, um, again, based on disease activity score. And, and, and what's, what's fascinating, and the caveat is that this is a cross-sectional study, so it's not longitudinal. Um, it, what we saw was that um, across all these group, three groups of people, their muscles are not... Um, as healthy or as normal as a control group. So we have, we also have a healthy control group who have no arthritis um, and, and match to gender and age. And even in the patients in clinical remission, their muscles are still different compared to the healthy um, people, particularly we measure um, um, muscle volume as well as a measure called um, T2, which is a quantitative MR measure. And so I think based on this, um, this is a small study, it's, it's cross-sectional. Um, it suggests that potentially there's a signal that uh, suggests that um, exercise, as we know, can maintain muscle bulk and muscle strength, may be very important in patients with rheumatoid arthritis. It, it, it would be fascinating to see if, particularly in the, in the group who are in remission, what their VAS scores are like, what their other systemic features, their fatigue levels, their energy levels, their, their quality of life, is despite the fact that they have zero tender, zero swollen, CRP, ES are all normal, all markets of arthritis are normal. However, are they actually truly well? And if they're not, is it to do with the muscles? Could the muscles explain it in the comparison to maybe somebody who's very active with rheumatoid whose muscles are maybe um, different to somebody who's inactive in remission? So these are interesting questions that we still don't really fully know. Perfect. Yeah. And Mike, what do you do when you've got someone you suspect of having that rheumatoid arthritic pattern with regards to getting them start at being active or increasing their activity? How do you go about that? Well, I think when, when I started working in rheumatology uh, predominantly about five years ago, I, I was I was quite 
cautious with patients with inflammatory arthritis. So, you know, with rheumatoid patients, we'd look at splinting and gentle, you know, hand stretches and, and so forth. And your Axbar patients, you know, getting them to do gentle spinal range of motion and hip abduction stuff. And now I, I tend to treat um, inflammatory arthritis patients just like the average Joe, um, as long as their disease activity is is let's say, low disease activity or even slightly on the moderate um, level on, on the disease activity scores, I just push them to be active. So I, I discuss with them what their hobbies are and what they enjoy. Um, and most of them would, you know, enjoy maybe swimming or walking or running or some weightlifting or whatever it is. And I just get them doing that and, and get them kind of sticking to a schedule of being active two or three times a week, doing what they enjoy, getting their heart rate up, and, and just being active. And I think there's a lot of research that, that shows, particularly in AXPAR patients, is you know, good cardiovascular high-intensity exercise or weight training exercise is just as good as spinal range of motion exercise in, in kind of maintaining um, fitness, really. So, so I think my mentality has definitely changed um, when it comes to managing these patients. And hopefully the whole physio realm will move to a more get patients active um, mentality as opposed to pittering on about, you know, looking at certain areas of the body in compartments, really. I think it's just about getting your patient active, getting that three or four hours of, of good exercise in a week and basically helping them enjoy their lives. You know, that's, that's the important thing, I think. Yeah, perfect. We've just got the last couple of minutes, really, but I was just going to ask you, um, Eileen, about um, whether there's anything that these patients shouldn't do. Um, I've, I've had a, a number of um, uh, clinical queries in, in relatively recent history about younger patients, um, sort of sub-25, um, whether they should be avoiding contact sports, um, those kind of things. They're, they're, they're well, they're controlled on uh, on their drugs. It's not... I've, I've you know, no concerns there, but should they be avoiding contact sports at a young age or anything like that? Short answer is no. Excellent. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, um, even in people older than what you've just said, you know, um, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever age, basically, age is not the the matter here. Um, And I think I have patients as well coming to say, um, you know, I do... uh, I do a lot of this or that sport, which is vigor- very vigorous sports. And, and is it okay to continue to doing uh, doing that now that I've got arthritis? Absolutely. No reason. No reason to stop at all. If anything, yes, do carry on. Particularly if they've been doing that since whenever. So it's something that they've, they've enjoyed clearly and, and definitely encourage them to carry on. Brilliant. Perfect. I'm definitely going to get you to come back, uh, Dr. Tan, if you keep agreeing with me this much. <laughs> it's really nice. Um, so I want to thank both of you for, for spending half an hour with me this evening and uh, chatting over these topics. It was a really useful uh, conversation to have. And I hope that um, physios and all the other therapists and um, anybody else that listens to this is reassured and be a bit more confident with pushing these patients a little bit harder with regards to exercise um, and getting them more active. Um, where can we find more out about you, um, Eileen? Um, obviously, you're working out of Leeds with your sort of all star um, uh, consultant <laughs> group there. It, I was, it, <laughs> It's like the who's who of works in works in rheumatology. I was wondering whether um, this is a ridiculous question, but I was wondering whether there's like a competition between Leeds and Bath 
in any way because it's they sort of seem to be the two sort of competing uh don't compete do you but two uh sort of very high profile rheumatology departments we're, we're all one big happy family of rheumatologists <laughs> wherever we are in the world brilliant where can we find you on social media and that kind of thing um yeah so you can follow me um on twitter um, and it's very simple. It's at Dr. Eileen Tang. So, so that's D-R-A-I-L-Y-N-T-A-N, all one word. Um, I've got another um, Twitter account that talks about running mainly, if you want to follow me there as well, which is at um, Eileen underscore runner. Um, and I'm on Instagram, but, but again, only pictures of me running every day. Uh, I am almost running every day for almost a year now. Uh, so <laughs> So with the same um, handle at, at Eileen underscore runner as well. So, yeah, I'm on those um, sites. Brilliant. Excellent. And certainly Mike and I, whenever you tweet a paper, we're all, we're both always straight on it <laughs> thinking what's come out that's interesting now. So, yeah, we're fascinating what, what research you guys come out with um, in the near future as well. So thank you very much for, uh, for spending your time with us. And um, hopefully we'll get you back again soon and we'll talk about yeah, Mike's desperate to talk about imaging. I'm, I can see him behind his eyes. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me. Thank you.